We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. What a great song. Amen? Points you to Jesus. Uh, his the glory. Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, kids, at this time, you may be dismissed. Thank you for joining us. Ages seven and above. And below. Ages seven and below can head on back. <laughs> Ages seven and above can go to children's church. How about that? <laughs> Oh, goodness. Thanks for being so long-suffering with your pastor. Well, we had a great month in January, didn't we? We went over the foundations, and uh, we, uh, we saw the Lord work in each of our lives. And I pray and hope that you are edified and built up, and you understand um, the Lord a little bit more, that you love Him a little bit more than in 2022, and that you understand how you fit in this life and in this church. And we're praying that uh, you would love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That you would love one another well. That you would seek to make disciples. And that you would go out into all the world and uh, be a light and be salt. And so we are excited to do that together. Um, now, though, would you open to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Meet me there, and let me just catch you up um, to speed on some things, the, a little bit of the landscape. If you're visiting with us, we've, we've been in this book uh, since the fall of 2022, and so um, um, I like to think of this book kind of in seasons, kind of like we watch uh, Netflix shows or, or things like that. Season one, we saw that there was a prophet put in place. Uh, it was a great season. We saw Samuel all the way from his birth. And we met characters like, like, um, like Hannah. Uh, we met characters like Eli, like Hophni and Phinehas. That was a prophet that was put in place by God. Season two started, and we saw that a, a, a king was put uh, in God's place. So that was a bad thing. So we saw in chapter 8, how the people of God said, we want a king like everyone else. And so they viewed with man's lenses, not with God's. And they chose a man that was uh, head and shoulders taller than everyone else. He was, he was handsome, but he wasn't God's man. He didn't have a, God, a, a heart after God. And so season three starts today. And this season, we'll be talking about a king after God's own heart. And that's when we're going to meet David and things like that. But before that, we got to see the transition. We got to see Saul, the king currently in Israel. We got to see his decline um, in order to transition. And his decline, um, it, it already started, but it's going to get steeper and steeper and steeper as we go. So are you ready? 
Let's do it together. Hey, when I was in junior high, uh, me and my family went to Washington, D.C. Uh, being from Green Bay, uh, the tallest building in Green Bay was Lambeau Field. That's what I knew to be a tall building, okay? And so when I went to Washington, D.C., I was uh, very much so enamored and impressed with all the big things. Uh, I thought Washington Monument was awesome, right? I thought like Lincoln's memorial was great, okay? But there was one thing that I was especially enamored with. Uh, and that, that, my friends, I would like to share that with you. Um, you see, in sixth grade, um, just my eyes were beginning to open to, um, to fashion <laughs> and, and what it meant to be in and to wear cool things. Uh, I began to be introduced to uh, different brands. And uh, a couple of my friends who were on the baseball team, uh, they had Oakley sunglasses, which if you know what Oakleys are, they're you know about $100 sunglasses. And I thought they were so cool and so out of my league. How in the world am I going to be in? How am I going to do this thing called popularity? Like, how am I going to wear the cool brands when they're so expensive? Well, when I went to D.C., I discovered, me, I discovered this. So you may not know about this, but I discovered something called Folkleys. <laughs> and Folkleys were way better than the Washington Monument, way, way better than Abraham Lincoln's memorial. And it was very fascinating because these special sunglasses, you could only find them inside of people's coats. It's really strange, right? 60 pair inside a guy's coat. I didn't, I didn't understand or think twice about it, but I, I saw the path. I could, I could buy for $20 what my friends had for 100 and they would never know the difference. Fake Oakley's, the greatest thing since sliced bread. Uh, so I need you to participate with me. Ready? So I bought these sunglasses. And I bought the most colorful, loud sunglasses I could get. I was going strong with the Folkleys. And a week later, I need you to awe with me, okay? A week later, they broke. I know. Thank you. Thank you. I saw it in you. I saw it. Those Folkleys broke. Uh, they, were, they were fake. They, uh, the, the screws that they use are cheap. Lenses, cheap. Plastic, cheap. Everything about them was fake and cheap. And they broke. And my heart, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, that's a little exaggerated. My heart was, I was, I was broken. I mean, I was bummed though. I was bummed. Have you ever heard the term fake it till you make it? That's, that's what I was trying to do. Uh, not necessarily, not, actually not at all, not a biblical phrase. And I was wanting to ride that train. Folkleys don't hold up. They're not the genuine thing. They're not real. In this chapter, uh, we're going to meet... A dude who is faking it. We've already met him. 
But we're going to see the genuineness of this guy or lack thereof surface. It's going to help us walk with God. It's going to equip us with discernment. We've got to determine if you want to follow God with your life, you need to know that you're going to screw it up sometimes. You're going to mess up. We're sinners. There's only one person who is perfect in this world. There's only one person who ever lived who is whole, and that's Jesus Christ. And his followers aren't whole. They're not all together. So we've got to figure out what does it mean to get right with God. Another way to say it is we've got to figure out this thing, repentance. How to do it in a genuine manner to God and with others and to others. And how not to fake it. How not to be a phony. That might come across a little strong, but as you know, our church, we're committed to preaching through the Scriptures. And sometimes the tone of certain passages has to affect the tone of the sermon that's which we hear each Sunday. And so the tone of this one is going to identify fake repentance. And it's going to help us. It's going to build us up. So before we get into it, let's pray one more time. And let's ask the Lord that he would teach us, that he would open our hearts, and that he would change us from within, that we wouldn't be fake or phony. So Lord, that's our prayer. I pray that you would use this passage in our life. Lord, that you would fill me with your spirit, control my words and my tone. Lord, that this word would go forth, it would not return void, but it would work and transform the hearts of your church. That we wouldn't be fake. And that we would know how to walk with you in a genuine manner. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I said before, we've, we've got to know Saul. The people of Israel chose this man. They chose him because he was taller and he was handsome. He was supposed to be the man. He was strong. He was the man that the people wanted to charge out in front of them, to lead them in battle. He was supposed to be the man that was after God's heart. The title for today is Fake Repentance. So if you're taking notes, um, the title, Fake Repentance, and the summary of today's sermon, which is the summary of this chapter, is this, that genuine faith listens, takes comfort in his work, and obeys. That's what genuine faith does. So that's framing it in a positive way. Genuine faith, it listens. It'll, it takes comfort in his work and obeys. Meet me in verse 1. And the Lord said to Saul, and Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you over his people Israel. Now therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. And so Saul is about to get some instructions. And all he has to do, friends... Brothers and sisters, all Saul has to do is listen to these instructions and obey them. To listen and obey. Watch the instructions in verse 2. 
This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they, when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Let's just pause there for a moment. Um, obviously, this passage has some glaring hard truths to swallow, right? This is the passage where God, through the prophet Samuel, tells Saul to wipe out a whole people group and all the animals as well. Um, that this, this passage is not typically the passage that we lead with in terms of uh, beach evangelism, right? Have you guys you ever gone on the beach and opened up to 1 Samuel 15 and said, let me tell you about our God. <laughs> so a little background behind, uh, behind this passage. When the Israelites, when they were enslaved in Egypt, and Moses came and said, let my people go. And 430 years later, they, they exiled, um, they, they exodus out of Egypt, out of exile. They were coming to Mount Sinai to get the law. Prior to getting the law, this king named Amalek, who is totally greedy, who totally preys upon the defenseless, says, oh, they got stuff and I want it. The king leads his army to attack the people of Israel. This is the great story of, of the attack where Moses is standing up on a mountain where he's watching this battle go before him and he raises his hand. When his hands are raised, uh, the people of God are finding success in the war. But when he gets tired, the people of God fail and they get overcome. And so Aaron and another guy named Hur, H-U-R, hold up his arms and the, and the Israelites win the battle. Great story. The Lord took note of this attack from Amalek and his people called the Amalekites. And he said, when they treated you poorly back then, I'm going to have holy revengeance on them. I'm going to remember what they've done. This is not just a forgive and forget. This is something that is near and dear. I, the Lord, hate it when my people are treated poorly. So let's just recognize that what is happening here in, in the issuing of the decree to wipe out a people group is horrid. It's horrible. Uh, let's also remember and appreciate that Scripture is not sanitized. It's real and it's raw. But also, I'd like to just point out that um, most people coming to this passage get, get hung up on this fact, on this truth, that God had holy vengeance upon a people group that mistreated His people. They get more hung up on that than Saul's disobedience in this passage. The overlook disobedience because they don't like the character of God here. But let me just tell you, 
the original readers, when they would have come to this passage, they would have taken so much comfort in this passage and so much comfort in the actions of God. Here's, here's maybe like uh, some modern day rejoicing that they would have done, okay? Oh, look at how Yahweh doesn't forget the enemies that attacked us. Like, look at how He doesn't forget us. Let's rejoice that God will put down and He will overthrow all who oppress God's people. Isn't that beautiful how He does that? Isn't it beautiful how we have a hope that He still does that and He doesn't forget His people? That's kind of the reaction of the original readers. It's one of rejoicing. It's one of comfort. It's one of hope. Let me read to you one commentator. He writes, this is Dale Ralph Davis, a guy I really respect. He says, no vengeance, no vengeance on God's people means no deliverance for God's people. No vengeance on God's people means no deliverance for God's people. This is how God's, God works. This is the story all the way till Revelation. If you want to read it, read it in Revelation 6. It's the cry of God's people to avenge. Avenge those who have treated us poorly. Who came against God's people. Lord, vindicate Your name. And so when we see at the end of this passage, and you can just go ahead and find it. This is verse 33. This is one of the most like famous, gruesome verses. You'll never see this at the Christian bookstore or on a coffee mug. This is where Samuel hacked Agag to pieces. Pretty gruesome, huh? Kids, what do you think about that? Have you ever read that verse? And you're like, oh my word, this is intense. Mom and dad, is it okay that I'm sitting in church right now? Like, this seems like it's rated R, and it is. And this is God remembering His people and bringing vengeance. Another way to, to, to think of it and to embrace and hold on to is this is God understanding His people and being faithful to them. And so just to speak to us for a moment, brothers and sisters, if you have faced trials and sufferings of many kinds, if people, um, if non-believers have persecuted you, have come against you, this passage and all the way into the New Testament, all the way to the end of our Bibles, tells us this, that these trials, these persecutions, your suffering, you can let them have their full effect, James says. Let them work in your life so that you are complete and perfect and lacking nothing. They're actually there to supplement, encourage, and strengthen your faith so that you would persevere, so that you would be steadfast. God has a plan for you in these trials in these persecutions and in these sufferings. He hasn't forgot about you. 
And while he might not, or it might not feel like he's defending you, maybe your friends are making fun of you at school for you following Jesus or wearing a cross on your neck or wearing a, a, a shirt from youth group or something, but you can trust and be comforted that in the end, he will remember you and they will be judged. So friends, continue to listen to him and obey his words fully. Are we together? All right, let's transition a little bit. Let's watch how Saul didn't do what I just said. He didn't obey God fully. He obeyed God eh, kind of halfway, which we know now is not obedience at all. Look at verse 9 with me. The instructions were wipe it out, wipe the people out. In verse 9, read it with me. It says, but Paul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These, they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. So if you're taking notes, and if you want to know how to walk by faith and repentance in a genuine manner, if you want to follow Jesus with your life, number one, you need to know this. Listen and obey His commandments. And we could add the description fully. Listen to Him and obey Him. Uh, raise your hand. How many parents we got in here? If you're a parent, okay, so we got like, yeah, a few, okay? Um, so there in life uh, are different chapters to parenting. Um, when um, our kids were like learning to talk and Hannah and I were learning to parent, like what in the world? And we're still learning, but like what in the world? How do we train these young little ladies in the discipline and admonition and instructions of the Lord, right? Because we would like tell them, hey, don't do this. And then they would go do it. And we'd be like, they're not listening. Well, how do I handle that, right? And so it's like this whole learning curve of, of, of what it means to discipline in a godly manner and what it means to speak to our kids that's consistent with scriptures. And so um, we were discipled in our parenting and, and, um, and we were told um, to use this as a phrase. And so we started with our oldest, you know, Hey, Addie, come here. I want you to listen and obey. It sets the, the expectations that it's not just I want you to hear me, but hearing is obeying. And so, hey, all right, we just finished dinner. I want you, listen, obey. Take your plate to the sink. Listen and obey. Yes, sir. Sink or plate sink. Hey, great job. You listened and obeyed. All right. Let's try. All right. Hey, it's after dinner. And she's like one and two and still learning like what English is. Yeah, I shouldn't even like know all the words yet. But we're teaching her. Hey, now I want you to go upstairs and I want you to brush your teeth. And like, I mean, we went with them. Like when, what age do they stop needing mom and dad's help to brush their teeth? 14, 15, you know, something like that. Right. But like, um, it was it was the call and it was the follow through of action. And if they didn't follow through with action, they really didn't listen. They really didn't listen. 
same thing in the Christian life. That's, that's, that's the theme throughout this chapter. If you want to just take a pencil or pen in one of your quiet times and circle all the times it says listen and all the times it says obey, it's chock full. They're laying this pattern for the believer to say, you want to follow the Lord? Listen to Him and obey Him. By the way, moms and dads, that would be a great like pattern to continue. If you want to teach your children how to not get hit by a car, I'm being totally serious. It's training inside the home with the doors locked, right? Hey, I'm going to tell you to run this way. And when I say stop, I want you to stop. Ready? Go! Stop! Oh, no. No, you didn't stop. I want you to stop. I want you to trust my voice. When I say stop, that I know what's best for you. And then when they're ready, you take them out to the backyard. You say, all right, now we're going to practice. This is the road now. All right, I want you, I'm going to say stop before it. And I want you to stop. Are you ready? Yes, sir. All right, now let's go to the front yard. We had to do it because we lived on the corner of a busy street in Texas. Teaching our kids to listen and obey. If they can't listen to mom and dad's authority, it'll be even harder to listen to the authority of their heavenly father. So since we're talking about listening and obeying, if I'm saying it's an important part about the Christian life, I think it would be good to just pause there and say, how does the Christian listen to God? I'm so thankful that I don't have to make up anything cool. It, Jesus actually tells us how to listen to him. Keep your thumb in 1 Samuel. Flip on over to John 14. John 14 gives us wonderful instruction. This is the passage where he, he talks to us about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. Watch how the Holy Spirit helps us listen to God. Verse 26. But the Helper, comma, the Holy Spirit. So the, the Holy Spirit is called the Helper. He's going to help us listen to God. Whom the Father will, will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring your remembrance to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Isn't that beautiful? Look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's going to help you. He's going to teach you all things. And then He's going to recall. He's going to bring to your remembrance everything that I, Jesus, have already said. Isn't that interesting? Past tense. I've already said it to you. Holy Spirit's job is to teach you what I've already said. Isn't that amazing? So friends, if you want to listen to God, if you want to walk by the Holy Spirit, if you want the Holy Spirit to help you, He's going to teach you all things. And He's going to bring to remembrance what He said. What does that mean in plain language? It is impossible to listen to God and not read your Bibles. You must crack Open this book if you want to listen to God. Jesus just told us that, that the Holy Spirit, if, if you have believed, if you've repented of your faith, place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin, place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You have the Spirit and He is going to help you. But He can't. He, he's not going to recall something to your mind that isn't there. 
That's why he's given us his word. So if you want to listen to him, you must read his word. We know it doesn't stop there. Listening isn't just reading. James helps us understand what true listening means. You don't have to go there. But in chapter 1, verse 22, James says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Do you see how these two things, listening and obeying, are tied together? Listening is not just listening because then you're not obeying. But you must be a, a hearer and a doer. And James says, if you just listen, if you just hear, you're deceiving yourself. Let's go back to 1 Samuel 15, okay? So the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord comes to Samuel. And Samuel goes to Saul afterwards, okay? Watch the conversation that's happening now. Verse 13, when Saul reached him, Saul said, this is Saul speaking, the Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. So Saul's basic posture is, hey, what's up, Samuel? Like, nothing's wrong. We're all good here. Hey, do you want to know how to walk with God in a genuine manner? You want to know what it looks like to have genuine faith and repentance, to not be a fake? Number two, don't take the Lord's name in vain. You might be kind of surprised at how even I just phrased that as one of the commandments, but this is the classic case of Saul taking the Lord's name in vain. What does it take? What does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? Most of the time when we were growing up, we were taught, um, hey, don't swear. Don't say God's name in a way that sounds like a swear word, okay? And I would say, yes, God does not receive honor when you flippantly use his name like that, okay? But the essence of what it means to not take the Lord's name in vain, it means don't do what you want and use God as a cover-up. I'll say it in different ways. Don't use all this Christianese language and disobey God. Don't like use Him to make yourself look good and say you're doing good and honoring the Lord when you're not. You're taking His name in vain. So, Saul calls him on it. <laughs> the Lord bless you. All's good. And uh, Samuel, forgive me. Samuel goes, no, it's not. He goes, what is this bleeding I hear in my ear? Don't I hear oxen? Isn't there sheep? Why am I hearing all this? You were supposed to listen and obey. If you obeyed, I would just hear your voice. But I'm hearing all these animals. Things are not okay. And so the conversation sadly keeps going, which it shouldn't have to. Saul keeps justifying himself rather than repenting, rather than getting right with God and others. He keeps the conversation going. Saul's like, no, no, Samuel, no, no, this is why I'm right. 
And Saul could have just said, I blew it. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I obeyed halfway. And I'm going to go make it right. Lord, would you please forgive me? Samuel, would you forgive me? I wasn't listening to the Lord. And I didn't obey him. So Samuel asks straight up in the story, why didn't you obey? And then, friends, here's like the the climax of the story with regards to Samuel's um, confrontation to Saul. It's like Samuel at his best moment. He didn't didn't shrink back. He didn't like just say, ah, it's all right, bro. You'll be all right. Watch what he says in verse 22. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Friends, number three, you want to know how to genuinely walk with God in faith and repentance? Honor God in private and in public. Number three, honor the Lord in private and in public. Samuel tells Saul that God is looking for obedience from the heart, not just performance with religious acts. So when it says, you see that burnt offerings and sacrifices, that's what, it's talking about public worship there. Samuel, and I just want to be clear here, Samuel is not canceling out public worship and saying public worship is bad. He's saying, hey, you can't just like substitute obedience for public worship. You can't just show up and be a shell. That's that's fake. That's phony. That's playing the game externally. I want inwardly you to be following after the Lord. I want you to listen to him and obey from the heart. Uh, I've heard it said, you've probably heard it said, um, here's just a good application of this. When it comes to prayer, pray long in private and pray short in public. That'd be the opposite of like the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the New Testament who like they're just they're just pouring out their hearts to God in public, privately? Are they walking with Him? Eh. But Saul didn't want that, and since he was unwilling to turn, look at verse twenty-three: for rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, watch this, he has also rejected you from being king. So here we go. I mean, this is Saul's rejection from being king. It's a blow. Watch how Saul responds in verse 24. He goes, I've sinned. Parentheses, we would all go, oh, he's like turning. This this is a good thing. He said, I have sinned, okay? And then he tells Samuel, so come back with me to the town and and we'll bow before the Lord, right? And 
I think that you guys have probably been in this situation before. You've, you've, you've heard people where they, they get confronted or they like bad is before them and they go, oh, sorry about that. Let's just move on. And what we're seeing here with Saul is that he wants a quick fix to his sin. He's like, oh, my bad. Let's just, let's just get, oh, you're going to reject me? No, no, no. Let's get everything just back to normal. I still want to be king. I don't want to be rejected. You ever seen that? Or maybe someone's, so, someone's called out and they say, oh, sorry. Sorry about that. And you're like caught on your heels, not sure how to gauge this idea of what is genuine repentance. We know this is not genuine. Saul is not genuine here. Number four, hey, you want to know how to walk with God in a genuine manner with faith and repentance? Don't rush repentance. Number four, don't rush repentance. What, Newman? Don't rush it? Like, hear me out. Yes, be eager to repent of sin. Like, if you got sin in your life, as fast as you can, let's repent of it, right? But what we're saying is, consider your sin deeply. One of my, this is going to sound funny, but one of my favorite books is called The Doctrine of Repentance. It's by a Puritan guy named Thomas Watson, because he helps us understand our dark and dirty hearts. Um, he helps us understand what gospel repentance is. And he says this, ready? Repentance is a grace of God's spirit, whereby a sinner is inwardly humbled and, catch this, ready? Visibly reformed. So he... Like if you're if you're cooking and you got all these ingredients going in the pot of repentance, Thomas Watson puts um, six ingredients in this pot. He says you got to have a sight of sin. You got to know it's a sin. You got to say, yeah, that's sin. Two, sorrow for sin. It's got to weigh you down. Three, confession of sin. Lord, that is a sin, and I acknowledge it. Four. Shame for sin. No, don't say that. We're not a shame culture. <sighs> to be ashamed, or some would say embarrassed. You got to get red in the cheeks because you love God so much and He's so holy and you just hate sin. I just can't believe I sinned there. I'm so shameful for it. Hatred for sin. Number five, hatred for sin. And six, finally, a turning from sin. Whoo! How about that for a pot full of repentance? It's a lot, isn't it? But it's genuine. It's gospel. One of them, if you leave one of them out, it's like, man, I don't know if that's it. If you leave one of them out, it's fake. And here's where we really see Saul's heart. Verse 30, we're round and third, coming home, okay? Verse 30 says, I've sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. Number five, 
Hey, church, want to know how to walk with the Lord in genuine faith and repentance? Care more about God and less about yourself. We could say it like this. Care more about what God thinks of your sin and less about how others will view you. You see how Saul, in his fake repentance, he, like he's totally putting on the Folklies here. He's saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just, I just want to look good in front of the elders of the people. And so, like, would you just help me out there? You see that? He's more concerned about looking right with man than looking right and being reconciled with God. It might sound like I'm throwing stones at Paul. We've all, I'm at Saul. We've all been there, right? So what is, what's the trick? Like, how do, you, how do you do this thing called repentance? And there is this parallel passage in the New Testament that sheds light on this passage, not of just what not to do. Hey, don't do this. Then Watch in Luke 8 how the woman goes for Jesus. Turn with me there. I want you to see it. And I want you to see the emphasis that Luke puts on the crowd. Okay? This is uh, uh, right at 42. This story of Samuel and Saul comes to a close when, when he's like, no, 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 I repent, I repent. Like, I'm, I've sinned. Just make me look good. And, and Samuel goes, uh-uh. He turns away. And Saul dives at his cloak and tears his cloak. And then Samuel says, just as my cloak is torn, so too God is tearing the kingdom from you. Becomes this analogy. And there's this woman in the New Testament who also dives at a cloak. Check this out. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. Verse 43, And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. And she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, look at this, watch this. For some reason, Luke includes this. And I think he's, I, I, just, I just love this. Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, this is not something in isolation that happened. Everyone's seeing this, and she doesn't care who sees her. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Christian, we've all been tempted to fake it. We've all, in our sin, in our junk, we've all been tempted to put this glossy veneer 
over the rough patches of our heart, over our actions, we are so tempted to want to look good in this life. I'll say it again. Jesus was the only person who was ever whole, body, mind, and spirit. Jesus was the only person without sin. If there is any temptation to fake it in the Christian life, remember these two people. Remember the outcome of Saul and remember this woman who isn't even named here. The contrast points you either to yourself or to Jesus. Saul throws himself, grabs the cloak of Samuel in order to be exalted among men. And this woman, she throws herself at Jesus, touches the fringe of his cloak, just so that she would get picked up again. Saul grabs Samuel's cloak, his Samuel's cloak, and white knuckles it for his name and reputation. And this woman reaches for the cloak of Jesus just to be healed by faith. She recognizes only Jesus can do it. That's genuine. Saul cares about everything else in the world. but chiefly is concerned about himself. But this woman, she, she doesn't have anything to her name, and she doesn't even have a name for us. But Jesus looks at her. The world would say, she doesn't have anything. But Jesus looks at her and says, because of your faith, she has something. She has it faith. And her faith made her well. Christian, you don't need to fake it. Christian, stop striving. Stop pretending to be someone you're not. That's not the purpose of your life. That's not the point of your life. Your purpose is to lift up the name of Jesus, who is high and exalted. Not ourselves. And he is able to heal the fake and phoniness and the darkness of our own hearts. Right on down to the very core of who we are. That's the ministry of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Let's be genuine. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we are sorry we repent as a church for our fake repentance lord teach us what it is like to walk fully in freedom and in repentance we thank you for this example of saul and what not to do we thank you for the woman and what to do Lord, would you use this word today to stir in our hearts, to plant seeds that they would grow into full, blossoming, flourishing plants. Trees, oak trees, are full of life that are solid. They won't get tossed by the wind and the waves. Lord, help us 
when we when we go astray to know how to come back by faith by repentance by your grace and so we respond now to you church if you have if you have anything you need to repent of we just want to be available to you we want to respond immediately to God's word grab your spouse grab a neighbor go off to the wings whatever during this song after church be be eager to be right with God and consider your sin deeply.